Welcome, everyone. On behalf of all of us, I want to just uh, thank Adir Haver, Dr. Zerman, Shlemi, to me and to many of us for putting in the time and the very uh, good amount of effort uh, to appear for this session. But it's worthwhile for us to know that uh, this is a session that's a product of many, many years of preparation, not just uh, the good amount that went in at this particular occasion. And I just want to wish um, all of us a bracha that uh, the word should be to produce the desired good benefit for us and for many, many others. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, uh, Rabbi. So I'm going to do a little preface, give people uh, another minute or two to get on Zoom, but um, yesterday, sitting uh, post Asa, it struck me that within the last few weeks, actually during the three-week period, somebody I know really well, who's quite close to me, called me that his son had hurt himself and made statements indicating that he wanted to kill himself. And what struck me very much about that is after handling what I needed to handle on the call, I didn't have to pull over to the side of the road. I didn't have to gather myself. I went back along my day, finding out, you know, what the, to get, how to get into the best hospital, use high, high level connections, and find out that unfortunately, all the beds in the hospital are taken. And there are actually two other from youngsters in the emergency room waiting for beds for the same reason. And I thought, okay, I'm a professional. I have to handle this. Mamela, shame professionalism. And I started to think to myself, where, where's the heart? Have we become desensitized? And then I'm looking around Asa, this morning's Kinos. It's a little scary to think. We're post-COVID. Ke'ilo, Maron, Stalin, Surfside, all extraordinarily recent. I'd be lying if I said that there was any indication of that in the shuls I was at, or even in myself. And when we hear what all of the Gedolim and Chazal tell us about not feeling the korban and how that continues things. It's pretty shocking. I used to think, obviously, you don't say these things audibly, but how did, how did the people in the previous door, they had an avian, they had mice happen? How did they not wake up? 
historically, they're going to look back and say, COVID, Trevor, a virus turned the world upside down and stopped everything. That wasn't enough. Merom, Bechule, Bechule, what's being said in the U.S. government, what's being said today in the Israeli government. When are we going to get it? And so it's my hope. Obviously, we're a very limited door. Behester, Shebehester, that's part of our struggle. That at least us, Chaveir and Yedidim, coming together to try to work on ourselves, Amashu, to try to get out of our own egos and tap into MS, that hopefully, hopefully that helps. To Hashem hearing our cries, and He hears us, and He says, alecha that, that you're going to have to bring us back because we can't do this on our own. So, what I really wanted to start the talk with, though, is how do you identify yourself? So, you know, how would you describe yourself? You know, those of you who have a bio, if you just want to think about the main points of it, anybody who doesn't, just if you were to quickly develop this short bullet point thing of who are you, what would you describe? Is there anybody that wants to uh, share? No, no pressure. Their, their, their basic bio, what they would put out there. I don't know, I assume you can unmute yourself and then mute yourself. I'm not in charge of that part. Yeah, no? Okay, so I, I will leave it, we'll leave it. So Derek Cloud, right? When we all put our bios together, we have our jobs, we have married, single, how many children, hobbies, that's really how we identify. When you ask us who we are and what we feel we are, that's how we describe ourselves. If I get Kaplan, I'm going to borrow one of his you know, genius thought exercises. He tries to take us through a journey, basically asking the question, would you still be you if you lost your money, if you lost your looks? your job, your talents, everything you possess. So those are things outside of ourselves. How about Chaz Shalom? You lost your spouse, your child, another loved one. Getting closer. What if you lost a limb, an arm, Chaz Shalom, a leg? He's Mitzayer. What happens when you get a heart transplant and somebody else's heart is beating inside of you? Are you still you? And ultimately, we go up the line until after Misa, and the goof is buried underground. Will you be you? And of course, when we think about it from lenses of truth, the answer to all of the above is, of course, I'm still me without all those things. But yet, those are the things we tend to identify with. The things that we have. 
having versus being, not who I really am. Baruch Hashem, most of us don't have one massive identity crisis. Often we do have smaller ones. A business deal goes bad. Somebody gets sick. We lose something that was important to us. But very rarely does everything come crashing on us. So we don't wake up to this. Most of the people on this talk, whether it was their parents or their grandparents, had everything come crashing down in a moment. And that was the Corbin of Europe. It all comes crashing down. Victor Frankl, the brilliant psychiatrist, describes his first day in Auschwitz. He obviously managed to pass the first selection by Dr. Mengele. And primarily, what he was most concerned of at that point, after already being separated from family and friends, the last thing he was holding on to was he had a roll of papers with his life's work, all his thoughts, a manuscript for his book on everything that he had developed up to that point. And post-selection, they were getting ready to shower them and give them their uniforms. So they made everybody discard everything they owned. So people were trying to hold on to the wedding ring, a medal, something. And of course, the guards just laughed at that. But Victor thought he could find one guard he saw. He looked like he had a little bit more humanity to him. And he said, what I have is just paper. To you, it's absolutely worthless. But to me, it's the, my whole life. It will be meaningless to you. And the guy is smiling and he's telling him more and more about what he's going to do with this and that. Even if he dies, somebody will publish this. And the guard smiles. Victor thinks that, okay, something will survive me. And then the guard curses at him with a sneer. And he gets tossed in with the rest. He described then that they went into being shaved. And he said they didn't just shave their heads, they shaved every hair on their bodies. So he described that as they were waiting for the shower, literally our nakedness was brought home to us. Quote, we really had nothing now except our bare bodies, even minus hair. All we possessed literally was our naked existence. What else remained to us as a material link with our former self? So as everything possible stripped away, what are you left? So of course, from our perspective, your true self is what you're left with. What's crucial for us to know is you are a soul. You have a role. There's a big difference. Who you are, what you actually are, is a soul that has nothing to do with any of the things we discussed. Each and every one of us has a role to play. And that's the first misidentification we almost always have. We misidentify ourselves as our role, not our soul. But the role, ki'iru, 
to even use such a muscle is like assigned by the director of a movie. You're the actor, you're given a part. And that's why deep inside, often we're uncomfortable taking pride in things about our role. Oh, wow, you're so successful in business. What a big sheer you have. How talented, how good looking, what a big mishpacha. Because we sense that that's not really us. It's taking pride in the role. It's like an actor who gets angry because the director says to him, this time you're playing a vagrant. It's like, no, I want to play a king. You're an actor. You have a part. Hello, have you lost yourself with the role? In fact, as this vagrant, I think you're going to win an Oscar because this is what's perfectly developed for you. And it happens even in real life. It's a shocking thing, but it happens fairly consistently. Now everybody goes private, but it used to happen. We had an actor that played a doctor on television or a movie. And there was an emergency on a plane and they would announce, you know, is there a doctor on board? And all the people around the guy would be saying, hey, hey, go, go. He's like, I don't know anything about medicine. I'm just playing a part. We often get delusional that way. There's a very famous Chassidah Shemaisa, Chassid went to visit his Rebbe. And the Rebbe, classically in Yiddish, says, Vos master, which sort of literally means, what do you do? How are you doing? And the Chassid starts saying, Bar Hashem, the Mishpacha is good. The Rebbe says, no, Vos master. Bar Hashem, okay, maybe he's getting more personal. The wife, Baruch Hashem, the Shalom Bayis is good. She's okay. She's healthy. The business, being Matzliya, it goes on and on and on. The Chassid is dumbfounded. He doesn't know what the Rebbe wants from him. The Rebbe finally says in Yiddish, all those things that God doing, what are you doing? And that's what's the first important step for us what are we doing? That's what's the role Hashem has given us. And it's crucial to remember only the character dies. We don't die. So first step we see is things that are totally outside of us are not us. Those are things we have. It's not who we are, not being. Then we go into our body. That also doesn't really define us much. Now, the real question is in terms of identity, what's the biggest obstacle is actually in here, in the mind. Because the biggest challenge to truly being in touch with yourself, why are we not in touch with this more? Why is it the first line of every bio, I am a soul, here's my role? Is because of the ego-based mind. And let's just do a brief experiment, literally 15 seconds, I'll do it on the clock. I want you to try to be in control of your mind. We call it your mind, so you should be able to be in control of it. So try not to think any thoughts or hear any voices or see any images. Just go blank. And if you see the, if inside it says, I don't hear any voice, I don't know what he's talking about, that's the voice. Let's start that now. 15 seconds, no thoughts, no voices, no images. Go. Now you can show me a thumbs up or down. Was anybody actually Matzliak at that? 
Somebody doing like this. Rabbi Kaplan also tells us it takes about 10 years of intensive meditation practice to be able to stop your thoughts for even a few seconds. So there's something going on in there that's happening all on its own. And if we're brutally honest with ourselves, what percentage of the time are we conscious, are we aware and focused on what we're doing versus not present, multitasking, distracted? And if you're not so sure, just think about Daven. And think about setting out, okay, I'm gonna have Tavana. I'll be my, the, that rarely, 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 rarely lasts through the first program. Rarely. The, most of the time, you know, you have 18, I'm in the, if, the, if I wake up in the back nine, it's good. Usually it's the back three. Many times it's the walking back from Oysashavim that dog, whoa, how did, how did we get here? There's something going on in our minds, constantly taking us elsewhere. So I'd like to discuss a little bit of the nature of the quote-unquote mind and this chatter that comes up. <laughs> so primarily, it doesn't live here. It either is thinking about all the things in the past, what we should have done, what could have happened, if that would have happened, then this would have happened, or it's the future, where am I going to go in a few minutes, what's going to happen, are they going to like this talk, they're not going to like this talk, where are they going to go afterwards, when they finish my head choice, people are going to be happy, etc. Or just narrating, oh, you're doing a good job, you're not doing a good job, what's happening here? Oh, constantly talking. And it keeps me from just being present and conscious of what I'm engaged in. So there's two fundamental issues with that. One is this constant bombardment of thought. There's a second issue that's really problematic as well. And that's I, I identify as those thoughts. In fact, if you listen carefully to what's going on in your head, it often presents as I. I want. I feel. I, 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 a whole day. So where on earth did this I come from? We think we're just born with it. But it wasn't in the initial design template. Adam Arishan, Kaidem did not have a sense of I. He did not have any sense that he was anything different than just attached from, to on high. And Reb Chaim Velozhin, Reb Dessler, Reb Volba, they go into tremendous detail about this. But what we call Eitz Hadas, so Das we often think about knowledge, but Das is really a much higher level than knowledge. It means Chibor, totally attached, an experiential connection. So when we called Eitzhadas Toivara, this wasn't just awareness of Toivara, it became attached to Toivara. All of a sudden, whereas beforehand, Ra was just outside of him, the snake had to come ibachotz, now it comes inside of me. And that was the development of what we call ego, not the Freudian ego, but the sense of I, the false self, that nifra, I'm different, I'm separate, I'm not just a ray of Hashem's sunshine. I'm not just connected. I have some independent existence, thoughts, wants, desires. And that is now 
probably the most complicated part of being human is to discern who's the real guy from the fake guy. Really, this is like the matrix. It is so intertwined that we often don't have a sense what's real and what isn't. What's crucial is that we have thoughts and feelings, but my thoughts and feelings are things that I have, the true I has. They're not actually me. They're not actually assigned reality. They're not creating reality. And many times they're not responding to reality. They're all often products of this ego-based I and mind. And the nature of the ego and the Sutton is it's all dimian based It's illusion. It's all about creating a sense of reality that's really fake. So the nefesh is what's real. And the ego, whether you look at it from the yoga tradition or when you look at it from this, is called the masquerading self. It is this thing that is pretending to be the self and it wraps you up in it all day. And we often, much more than we identify just as something behind the ego or deeper, we identify as the mind. Our view of ourselves, our value, I am worthy, I am unworthy, our sense of happiness, you know, if I did this or if that didn't happen or if she didn't do that or if he didn't do that, it all fluctuates based on my mind. To the point that for many people, they struggle with, I am not good enough. I am unworthy. I am bad. So their sense that I am doesn't keep them in a good place. The ego mind loves negativity. If you look at your own thoughts and feelings and you see what percentage of the time it's focusing on positive things versus what time it's focusing on negative, it do doesn't compare. And for many who've been through a lot, who this co-op has been used, unfortunately, by people and they've been shamed and developed all these negative feelings, anxiety, depression, sadness, shame, guilt, etc. the mind is a downright torture chamber. There is very often nobody outside of me anymore criticizing me or beating me up or doing anything nearly as negative as I'm doing in here. So, okay, let's try to stay away from the negative stuff. Okay, how about the good chatter, all this other positive stuff that's in my head? That also isn't me. The same way you were able to see that the noise is happening without you and you can actually observe it. Even if it's saying beautiful things, you're amazing, you're the best, you're wonderful, everybody loves you, still just chatter, not actually the real you. And I'd suggest that when we say that the Yetzar, the Yetzar sets out to kill you. Well, it's a pretty menacing thing. Why doesn't he kill us every day? We're not dead. I'd suggest that what it means is it keeps us out of life. Life is in the experience of the here and now. If I'm busy in the past or the future, or I'm narrating my experience, I'm not really present or conscious, I'm not really living In the deeper sources, they call the Yetzirah the Sitra Achem, which sort of literally means the other side. What this force loves to do 
is give you a sense that you're aker, you're different, you're on the other side. You and Hashem are not in one, you're not connected. You're other, separate from yourself, separate from friends, separate from Hashem. Always giving you the sense, we're not in this together, there isn't one. Revolva defines that koach as the opposite of what real Torah is all about, yedidus, connection, friendship, relationship, all about bond to our true self, to others, to Hashem. He says the opposite koach is the koach of zoros, estrangement, separation. Here we're talking mostly about separation from my true self. Obviously, this runs ramshot all over my connection to others, creates all sorts of difficulties in my terms of my ability to truly connect to somebody else. And obviously, I'm constantly on the other side, so I can't really be connected to Hashem properly. And so we say the sorts of dis-ease or disease, right? This lack of ease, this constant tension, constant not just experiencing, is really sourced in these koifas of the Yitzhah. So what happens as a result of that? Most of the time, I'm busy with myself. Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good job? What's going to be? How's this going to impact me? What's not going to happen? What's going to happen in a few minutes? Am I going to be hungry? How's fast going to feel? What's going to happen? Are my kids going to visit me? They're not going to visit me. Busy hugging with me. Versus just what we say, I'm serving Hashem and I'm an Evid Hashem. Unfortunately, so often mixed in there tremendously is I'm serving this ego. I'm serving Okay, I'm a good boy today. I'm a better Eved, a worse Eved. I learned well. I didn't get a virus. Not busy a whole day with this guy. Now, the ego is a very threatened being because it's not really grounded in truth or anything. So it's constantly trying to build yourself up on this fake stuff outside of you, inside of you. It's always threatened. And it always experiences itself as separate. So that's a tremendous source of negativity internally. And then separation. Oh, you said something bad to me. You didn't appreciate me as I am. You did this to me. You caused that. Creates tremendous separation. If we look at the source of kina, of anger, of gaiva, obviously, and ultimately sinas it's all based in I feel you're not respecting me. You're damaging me. That me that I'm busy with is not my nefesh. My nefesh is very cool, calm, and collective. He doesn't have ego problems. He doesn't have emotional problems. He doesn't have regulation issues or self-esteem issues. The nefesh is divine. It is amazing. It is something indescribable, actually. Almost kaviyotah like Hashem is indescribable. The nefesh is totally ruchni. We cannot even describe it. That's how amazing, holy, and uplifted it is. And that's how I would suggest maybe what sinas chinam, what does it mean? Chinam, everyone's bothered by it. I don't hate anybody for no reason. Yeah, you do. Because your ego hates him, and the ego is not real. It's a delusion. That is a source why all sinna, even righteous indignation, anything that isn't just for the sake of truth and Torah, is sinas hina. It's for free. It's not based on it. And that obviously is going to be 
main driver of Golas Hashem, because Hashem acts with us almost as a mirror. Hashem empowered us in an unfathomable way that what we do down here impacts all the Olamas, even Hashem, Kaviyotu. And so when we're separate, the Shina is separate. So where do we see this? So Adam has this calamitous Avera, right? And the Medrash tells us, Medrash Rabbi Gracia says, where are you? Esmo Ladaiti. Yesterday you were with my das. The Aksha of Ladaiti Shonachash. Now you're connected with the snake. And he goes on to say, They broke the covenant. All the Jews who are in Gullus, just like other Marishan, just like other Marishan, I gave him, I put him in Gan Eden, I gave him a Tzivoy. He violated the Tzivoy. I sent him out. I pronounced on him, alas, which in the, is the same word, the same siv, but what he said to Adam was, where are you? Now, that's a strange question for an omniscient God. Where are you? Especially, even for a human. I'm talking to you. I know exactly where you are. So Ayeka, the first question in the prayer, is one that we have to grapple with forever. Where are you? Wasn't a question. That's for Eifo. Ayeka is, you are not where you're supposed to be. Alas, that's why we say Eifo. It's a solemn question. Where are you? And also, the Shechina is often referred to as Ka. Other places. So I yet I Where is the Shina? In that same mirrored place, you pulled yourself separate. You're now with the Nachash. Where's the Shina now? It's also pulled back. And what happened was Adam got expelled from Gan Eden. And we think of that often as punishment. The truth is, the Chaim Veloshin goes on to explain that that was a necessary chesed. Because now that he internalized this is in, in him, in order to get rid of the Ra, he cannot do that in a body. The body had to completely die and go to pieces in the earth for you to ever be totally pure. And so the chesed was getting sent out of Ganin so he wouldn't eat from the Eitzachayim and live forever and never get the tikkun needed. And this is really the struggle of life, though. Can we connect? Can we find our way to the truth, to the real I, and disconnect from this false stuff? But it is impossible since the Chetanarish to do it fully. And that's why even the four people who, who died without Averis, it says, died the shal nachash. They died on the advice of the nachash. Bottom line, they needed to die, not because they did Averis, but because the etzem, there is no way to be totally free from this mixture. Only Eliyahu and Navi, one of the person, they, they, they had no gashmis whatsoever. They didn't die. They flew up to Shemaim. Everybody else, even the four tzaddikim who had no Averis, 
had to decompose and eventually come back into TSMH. So we talk about this ego and we talk about our real selves. So what is some of the process of trying to lose your ego and find yourself? So like Yosef Elephant from the mirror, Baruch Hashem, I was supposed to be pretty close with him. One time he told me, Shlami, all of therapy is all about helping people live with reality. First, I was a little insulted. I had big plans for what therapy is. Then the longer I do this, the, he was spot on. It is all about whether we're truly connected to reality or illusion, MS or Shekhar. And psychological illness is identification with Shekhar. The negative thoughts and feelings we have are misperception. They aren't aligned with the sense of who our nefesh really is, that Hashem is taking care of us, that nothing happened that could hurt us. It's all rooted in misperception. And even somebody who's been through a lot, obviously the treatment is to minimize those negative thoughts and feelings, that distortion of the self, and to disidentify with all these things that are keeping me attached to these negative and false views of myself. And this isn't to belittle or critique or fault or judge anybody who's struggling with these issues. These challenges are enormous. And like I said, nobody, even the greatest Sadiq who never did Avera, are completely free of this. And people obviously go through experiences that they dive in every day and that are shocking and traumatic and painful beyond words, beyond badly. And we talked about children these days who are trying to kill themselves. And that week, three youngsters amongst Pfizer overdosed and committed suicide. It's not to make it that the thoughts and feelings aren't actually there, but to understand that in the deep source of this, it's coming because we're not connected to the truth of who we are and people and experiences helped team up with Shekhar and the Sahara to keep us away from truth. Because in that truth, in that Hashem's view, who are we? We're Chelek Elikami Mouth. You are an actual fragment, Kaviyocho, of Kaviyocho. We're Nivra B'Tselem. We say, if you're in the divine place, if you're aligned, you have confidence, you have joy. We literally are doing this Hashem. We say it in the morning, and then we say, your faith is great in us, but we say, mm, he messed up, not this guy. He should have given me different parents and different experience and different other things. And then I would have what to do today. Or if I didn't do those Averis, or if I was smarter, or better looking, or a better learner, or a better diviner, then I'd be okay. But Hashem's saying, no, you're the Shomit's Papaira now, and I have faith in you today, this moment. So that's what we're trying to get plugged into. So let's talk a little bit about Sur Meira. How do we stay away from this ego? In some level, 
you know, this is talked a lot about in the modern media, Elon Musk and others, you know, they have this AI nightmare that the machines are getting smarter and smarter and smarter, and they're going to start, you know, attacking us. And there's all sorts of plans that what are we going to do about this? The truth is, each and every one of us has been living this AI nightmare since we're little. As I showed you before, the machine has taken over much of the time. The mind is talking and blabbling and negativity a whole day, and you're not in control. So how do we move away from living in this AI nightmare? And so the main piece here in the Surmeira is to disidentify with the mind, to disconnect from all this balagan, this narration, these thoughts and feelings that are constantly coming up. In order to do that, you can't say, okay, enough. And many times, once you start to realize this, you, you actually start, okay, shut up in there. Unless you're just voice yelling at the voice. We have to be extraordinarily self-compassionate, totally non-judgmental of all the thoughts and feelings that come up. And we have to deher all those thoughts and feelings. Hashem made it. This is all from other Marishim. It's all in there. All the anger, negativity, sadness, trauma, self-esteem issues, misidentification, we're all challenged with them. And if I could allow myself to notice, just take a pause and notice and observe my thoughts, my feelings, right? Thoughts you can actually sort of see bubble up. You can almost hear them in voices. Some people see them as images. Feelings manifest more as sensation, tightness, heat, tension, pain. But you can notice them. You can actually watch. You can focus on a tightness or a pain. You can focus on the thought. And what's amazing about that is the reason you're able to watch them is because you are not them. You cannot watch something and be it for the subject-object problem. If I could see it, I can't be it. I'm the observer. Right? The one muscle I like to give people is, you know, if you're ever watching a kosher, very good movie, your heart's pumping with it. You're identified with the character, right? You're in it. But if somebody walks past with popcorn, all of a sudden your feelings get reduced tremendously. What shifted? You became aware you're not in the movie anymore. You're watching the movie. When you become aware that you're watching, it has tremendously less hold on you. And that's a big part of the foundation of what real good meditation is, because Zen, I have no thoughts and feelings, I'm, I'm, is to become aware you have thoughts and feelings, but you are the observer. You are behind the thoughts and feelings. There's a quiet, totally okay, serene kaya that is able to watch all of that. Another muscle that I like to give, especially for people who watch sports, is you have the person playing the game. And then in a separate box, you have the announcer, and they're narrating the whole game. But if you have a situation where LeBron James shoots, he scores, and that's the play. Now, if the announcer says, wow, that's the most amazing play, he's clearly the GOAT, better than Jordan, or if the guy says, what a selfish guy, he chucks the ball all the time, he takes it for himself, the play did not change. The game is going on. The narration is just a sidebar. And so busy, our minds are so busy narrating. Who's it talking to? I'm the one talking and listening, right? 
When we see a guy on the street talking to themselves, having a conversation with themselves, where we're going today, I'm going to the store, I'm coming back, we declare them insane. But because we do it quietly, we don't consider ourselves insane. But really, the same exact thing is going on. Totally, all day. We're busy having conversations with ourselves. What's the point? Just narrating. It's a broken narrative. Now, this is sort of easy to describe. It's really hard to experience. And it's something you sort of can try to help bring somebody to. But they have to experience it. Even the first time you just experience even a mashu of, whoa, I can, I'm the watcher. I'm the observer. I can notice my thoughts and feelings. That feeling that I am something behind that, well, that's liberating. That's the lightning goes off in the forest in the dark. That Okay, I might lose it a split second later, but I saw, whoa, I don't have to be as wrapped up in it. And then it's a practice. It takes a lot of practice, not sitting for hours on end on a mountain in Tibet, but just practice noticing calmly, totally non-judgmentally, totally accepting of all the thoughts and feelings that come, and even of your distraction, even getting caught back in the movie and even getting caught back, accept all of it. And just notice, I'm a soul. I have thoughts and feelings. And we're going to fall in and out of that Yetzirah space, identifying with them. He's an amazing trapper. He's done it to the best of the best. And we're pretty shy. We just create that space whenever you can. Try to separate from the sense of I and from all these thoughts and feelings. Because right, if you even look at how we even describe it, we say, I like myself, I dislike myself, I hate myself. Who is the I that hates the self? Who is the I that likes the self? Even in our words, not just grammar, we have this sense, I am the I, and the self I'm talking about is something the I likes or dislikes. And again, if I ask you, look at the objects in front of you, which one are you? You can't be any of them. I'm the seer. I'm the observer. That's the incredible koyach of the mind distortion. To be able to trap us into thinking and attaching and feeling like that's who we really are. And that is distance from really being. I'm not just conscious. I'm not just present. So the more you're aware that you're the watcher, the more you're attached to truth. Things that are spiritual, like the nefesh, it's what's called roya de'inen nireh. It's seen, but it isn't seen. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is roya de'inen nireh. So by definition, you can't actually sort of see your nefesh, but your nefesh can see all the things in your life, your thoughts, your feelings, and even this chapter. And whenever sort of you're thinking about this nefesh, it can't be it, because again, it's an experience. So again, we disidentify, let thoughts and feelings go. <clears throat> Some techniques to help move along that path is instead of saying, I am sad, or I am angry, use the word I think or I feel, because that creates a little bit more distance. And again, if you're experiencing stress, relax and try to relieve, release let the thoughts and feelings come and go. They naturally move if we don't hold on to them. Eventually, if you get a little bit better at this, you become amused at the ingenious ego mind and all its antics and how brilliant and how many different ways it tries to get you. And again, we're going to flow in and out of awareness. And the biggest thing is don't beat yourself up for not being awareness. That's also the eight of heart. Just accept that you aren't your thoughts and feelings. 
whether they're good, bad, ugly, it doesn't matter. And as you fall, calmly, compassionately, try to go back to watching, being the observer, and move forward. Similarly, all comparisons to others, better, worse, competition, you, you know, sense I need to be unique, evaluation, that is all from the Yetzirah. It's all based on what we would call in yeshiva, chetzah, and gashmi, it's all things. Versus true ruchni is an infinite, because in ruchni, you can't measure whose nefesh is bigger, or who's doing more, or whose mission is more important. So when we really say um, self-judgment is flawed because your true self is innately worthy beyond expression, it's pure, it defies any understanding or measurement by human means. So whenever we're sort of challenged by the self-worth, try to pull back and use those true lenses. And one thing that I just came upon that struck me one day, and I, whenever you could use it, it becomes very powerful, is whenever you're struggling, so instead of I in the sentence, let's substitute the truth. Nishama. So I'm unworthy. Nishama is unworthy. All right? It starts to fall apart. It's almost laughable. All right? Nishama is an imposter. Nishama is doing worse than Yankee. Huh? It can't work, right? That whole structure only works when you're in this I delusion and game. And so, just a simple thing. Whenever you have I, put in the shama and see how long the sentence can hold up. So, at a deeper level, when we talk often about self-awareness, it's really a false euphemism. We're really ego aware. I'm busy talking about that I'm identifying as my ego, right? For sure, for sure, if you're in the middle of a mitzvah or learning and these thoughts pop in, that's guaranteed always the Yetzirah. The truth is that even if I'm busy working or I'm doing anything, all of a sudden thoughts pop in. Mm, you're not a good guy. You are a good guy. You did that a very yesterday. That's always the Yetzirah. Any global statement of self pronouncing self is untrue because how you're assessing your nefesh, you're assessing the here, you're, you're in God's accounting department. So the only productive quote unquote self-reflection is to tap into what is really yourself. Who's the real I? Wow, my I is a nefesh, is a helik elikami mouth, is never betselem. Now, can I align my thoughts and behaviors with that truth? That's the only time, and the only time to do this is not in the middle of the day. It's not when it's popping up randomly. It's not when it's a force of the mind. It's when I, the real I, uses my statement. Like when I sit down to do a math problem, I'm using the machine rather than the machine using me. So it's only when we sit down with a specific time when we're calm, focused, healthy, balanced. And then we look at is my behavior and thoughts aligned with the truth of who I am and my mission. Most of our self-judgments are wildly inaccurate. The negative totally outweighs the positive. They're totally unrealistic, and they're disconnected from anything real. Let's go to really a, a higher level. On a higher level, 
the whole busyness with my performance and myself is a bit flawed. Again, if I'm self-aware, I'm sort of aware of being nifra. I'm being different. I'm aware, really, of my emotions. I, 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 I. So the second you're thinking of yourself, you're already separate. It's already gashi. It's already limited. Because again, that real self is eno mira, and it's just connected. It's a chelik elikat. So on the higher levels, and maybe we can tap into this amashiri. Don't listen or be involved with the eye. The whole eye can be discarded. Rabbi Shemimah told me that in Spinkin Torah, the Rebbe used to say, Anoichi, Hashem Alekatim. The Anoichi, the eye, is only for Hashem Alekatim. Because Anoichi is only one real eye in this universe. All of our eyes are just fragments of that eye. Everything else is separateness and delusion. And that's the truth when we tap into that space. So then we're in a space of Kuchibrihu, Yisrael, Vayraisachadu. There's oneness. There isn't separateness. There's not my job, your job, you're differently. When we can really get closer to these concepts, we start to have all the mechitzas, all the separations, all these things that distance us from our truth, others, and Hashem slowly fade away. Rabbi Shmidman, how long do you want me to go for? Till night. Okay. So we have a whole nother section here before the end then. Okay. Um, I, I, I have a question that could be, you know, addressed at any time or if not necessarily have to be all together. So I, I'm happy to take your question now, but I, I, I'm going to read. I have very little to do today. So uh, uh, I'll, to I'll be hanging out. Go ahead, Rabbi. Just like the, since so much of our even uh, ruchistic actions are, you know, directed at giving ourselves a good sense of ourselves, which is all, you know, not not the way it's supposed to be, where we're trying to be a good learner, a good davener, a good balchesed. So we're going to need a different kind of a mindset um, to uh, sort of utilize as the uh, focus, direction of our good ruchistic efforts. Okay, so I have being aligned, uh, you know, is that, is that adequate? Is that, is that you know, the best thing that we can you know, try to use for ourselves? Just something to put out there at some point. Okay, so... Okay, um, I actually took a little chalik out because I realized we'd be way over time. But let, let me let me touch on that very bekitzer then. So it's very interesting. The Zoyar calls chachma is made up of the letters koyach ma. If you look at the four letters, you have koyach ma. The koyach of what is first. So the first step is when I get out of myself, I'm doing well, I'm better than that guy, I'm going to say a tabur, I'm not, it's going to be good, it's not going to be good. And I just ask, Vazak the Gemara, Vazak Rashi, Vazak Rebbe, what's Pshat? What's the difference between this one and this one? What's the similarity? I'm, I'm much more on my way. On a deeper level, it's a koyach of ma. Of nothingness. We know Matan Torah only came after the Midbar. It only works when somebody makes themselves like a Midbar. To whatever level we get out of ego and I and competition is actually how Torah can flow from a high place to the low place. And the more that we're just 
in touch with truth, honesty, friendship, connection, right? The Torah is Yididos. My Chavrusa is Yididos. Everything else is Mamash Yetzara. So then there's no, there's no grace that Kavanah is needed. Get out of the way. <laughs> That's a big Kavanah to try to get out of the way. <laughs> and then I think that... Uh, Things flow, and I think that's a little bit of what it means. It got to Matsasa. When we when we do our efforts, just our good valid efforts of ma, then we find it. And the truth is, even in the science research and everywhere else, the vast majority of, of, of real discoveries came from really working on something, and then poof, comes in a dream, it comes in a moment of inspiration. It comes from a much deeper part of us than this forward mind chatter. That playoff in the back, that observer, that nefesh. Only is Tyreshaya to it. So that's aligned on high. So when you can get out of the way and break down some of the barriers, then uh, literally the sky is the limit. Okay, let's move into sort of an assay toy. So we talked about disidentifying as a surmeira. Now, what's an assay toy in terms of getting out of this mind chatter? So, probably the biggest Nakuda is to live in the now, is to be conscious and focus on this present moment and to just bring yourself to be fully present here. Because in the moment, when you're totally focused there, there is no chatter. And really it's Dover Pasha. You know, growing up there was a Gishmaka song, right? There was the past is no longer here. The future is not here yet. And the hoive is kaharafayim, it's a blink. So that was no daiga, but the truth is the only place you can interact with reality, with Hashem, with anything, is this moment. So if you're busy narrating, or if you're busy in the past or the future, you're not living. It's mebakesh hamisa. You're not in life. You're disconnected. So the biggest goal is get in touch over here. Now, in order to do that, you have to accept reality. And that's much easier said than done. It is a frightening realization when you wake up to realize how much of life you're battling reality. It is amazing. The mind is coughing the whole day with exactly customized plans for what it wants, what the weather should be like, what the traffic should be like, how much money I should make, what deal should go well with that. My wife should look like, my kids should look like. A whole day. And life is never as the mind wants it. It might touch it for a second, but then it dissipates and the mind's onto something else. And it, it's we're fighting things like, like we do with traffic or a physical illness. Right? It's an amazing thing. You can get in your car and oh man, there's traffic on the Jackie Robinson, there's traffic on the highway. Oh boy, I should have left earlier. Why don't these people know how to drive? I should have used Waze, Waze should use Google. Why are these companies worth a few billion dollars? They never get me anywhere. I want to go fast enough. Okay, I'm gonna cut them off. I'll be stressed the whole time. I'll save two minutes. Instead of, okay, there's traffic. What do I want to do? Oh, I'd rather choose to be calm, accept the mitzvahs. Do I want to just focus on driving, listen to a podcast, make a call? We're busy, and that's on the most mundane thing, let alone when it touches something more ego-based. Business feels learning, holy moly, we're fighting the whole day. And... Creating this world as we want is absolutely ridiculous. There's seven and a half billion people that Hashem, the director, is orchestrating every moment by moment for. And my ego is saying, look, I want mine this way. 
If my wife was more like this, if my children were more like this, if the business went more like this, if my partner was more like this, then I would serve. Who are you fighting with? What are you fighting with? You're not interacting with reality. Now we know this from the Muna perspective. We say, So the sense that we're changing these things is a delusion. Now, again, we are delusional. Much of the time, we live in total delusion. The truth is, even this stuff of, if no business, what if I did that? Then wouldn't have caused this. I did that, I buried that, caused that. If I didn't do that, if I didn't do that deal, if I should have partnered with him, I should have married that one. We don't have any access to that accounting. All of that, we look at now, this is what the English gave me. All I have is the now. So the first step to being able to be present in the now is you got to accept it. And that's really, if we think about it, that's the side of Olamuna, is this <clears throat> now is what I'm giving you. Hashem is in, in Majgiyah and customizing this moment for you. But, you know, like Nishtab Shabbat, we have carve-outs. Yeah, the Abish being controls weather, he controls traffic, I might give him corona. My parents were a disaster. My childhood, trauma, issues, tension, pain, frustration. The business, come on. I'm a businessman. Come on, I walked at this for a year. Come on, I'm my spouse, come on, this is some sort of joke. If, if she'll change, if he'll change, things are going to be different in my life. The kids, I don't know what's going on with these children. They don't just tell food. They don't just listen. This one betrayed me. Right? These are Amuna carbots. We don't like to think about them. We don't like to be faced with that. Hey, you really believe that? Hashem's not in charge of which parents you have, of your childhood? of even Chazashon terrible things, like molestation, like a Holocaust, like a Corbin, of your business dealings, of which spouse you marry, of which children neshamas are given to you as a top, as a, as a bitkada. What do we do? We blame. And a blame is, again, the discharge of pain and responsibility. If that wasn't happened, then this, then that. Instead of embracing the situation as is. And again, we're human, and this is our struggle. It's very easy to say, just accept all of it. There is real pain. There is real trauma. There is real hurt. But fighting what is, is just to keep yourself safe. And it's only when we fully accept and embrace our humanness. That means even the struggle. Yes, I have pain. I have negative thoughts. I have difficulty in these relationships. I accept myself. Again, that's how Shem challenged me. He didn't make me an angel. He didn't make anybody else an angel. He made me human. He made me live post-chay. He made me with an ego. He made me with all these struggles. Then I could start to also accept everyone else. Wow, that person's human too. And that's why they got aggressive with me. And that's why they hurt me. And that's why they got stuck in their ego. And that's why they cheated me in the business. And that's why my wife didn't respond to me the way I wanted or my kids don't respond. The more we actually embrace everything that Hashem created as Hashem's creation, the more we accept ourselves in alignment with truth, and the more we help connect and accept others. But this is the balance of life. We're constantly stuck and unstuck in ego, not ego, in defensiveness, in blame, in hurt. And that's the endless cycle. And the goal is to accept that too. That's why we're here. 
When we're past that, we're out of this world. But the goal is to do that from a place of real, true, compassionate acceptance and then forward movement, no matter how difficult and painful it is. And for some, it's incredibly difficult and they cannot do that alone. None of us can do it alone. We all need help. We're all trapped in this prison. We're all stuck in ego mind, prison, and in pain and in difficulties. We all need each other. But the biggest step is to come to accept the reality Hashem gave this to me. He gave me my humanness. He gave me this struggle with the ego. He gave me all these challenges. Now, I might need psychology to help me understand what is going on with myself, to even notice these things, to work with myself and others. But the longer I do this, I see that there, you have to be real careful. There's real risk of keeping me in the mind, in this falsehood and victimhood of not accepting reality. No, if that wouldn't have happened, I'd be okay now. That might be true. That was really traumatic. It was really hurtful. It caused you a lot of issues. It caused you a lot of thinking patterns. It caused you a lot of painful feelings. But that's what you need. And oddly, it's hard for us to imagine this. Again, we're, we're totally no access to this. But the Svarim teach us that before you come down here, your neshama actually chooses the challenges that you're going to have because it knows it needs that secret. So it's this kind of war thing. Our ego is fighting everything, but the true I actually said, sign me up for all of it. And what they also teach us is that where we're actually most challenged, that's our main topic. We think, no, if I didn't have this, then I could learn like Rukhain Kanievsky. That's not your job. Rukhain Kanievsky is given his role by the director and you're giving yours. And it doesn't matter if that role is learning 24 hours a day or climbing out of addiction and pain and trauma and frustration and mental illness and physical illness and cancer and torment and all the awful things we're mourning today. And that's really the nature of Tishabab, this dichotomy. We sit and we're supposed to feel and cry and mourn all the pain. Each individual's, the collectives, the historic thousands of years worth. Because we're human and that's our experience of it, is the pain, is the trauma, is the hurt. And then the flip side, is we do see the Kadin the entire time. We acknowledge that this was brought out by Hashem and this was all a response to what we need. Now we can't fathom that. We can't sit down, oh, I must have done such terrible errors to cause this. We have no yachas to that, neither for ourselves or others. But we know that the physical, the emotional, psychological challenges all originate from spiritual sources. That's what all the kinas are about. And then ultimately, we do this incredibly human thing of saying, I'm hurting, I'm crying, I'm in agony, this needs to stop, we need Mashiach, we can't handle another second of it. And the act of Tzadikah We're designed to be able to do both when we're in a space of message, of truth, of compassion, of kindness, of openness. So Eckhart Tolle, the author of The Power Now, he says, accept this moment as if you chose it. I'd suggest that we accept this moment because it was chosen for you and by you. 
because Hashem has given a customized opportunity to me. If I accept my situation right now, this second, as perfectly divinely designed for me, then there's only one task. How do I make it the best moment I can? And that's the difference between personal responsibility and not. We're busy a whole day with everything that we can't change. The vast majority of the time, we're deluded, trying to change things that are that are not your shaman. They're all the things that we can't change. My money, my status, my, my, my family, my children, the weather, the traffic, the everything, the bills, stressors, all the things that we cannot change. And not taking responsibility for the little sliver that we can. What can I do in this moment, given all the positives and negatives, all the struggles I have? So again, we blame versus accept. And the whole point is to serve, to be an evidence, to be a shliya. I'm sent to this situation. Fully embrace it. And what's my shlitas here? How do I bring shrina, godliness, to this moment? What does that mean? Ooh, shrina. No. How do I bring truth, honesty, integrity, openness, transparency, light, expansiveness, contentment, confidence, connection, compassion, kindness, friendship, and love into this space in this very moment? And any mashiwa of that has unfathomable worth. And the ultimate goal is to source everything back to the source of all consciousness, of all oneness, of all reality, of all being, of all kindness, of all love. Then we're really connected and aligned. Going back to the story, <clears throat> Victor Frankl. So he actually described that challenge of giving up his manuscript as one of the deepest experiences he had in the camps. Because here, if he came to this realization, there will be no actual child that survives me. There will be no mental child that survives me. So begging, what's the point of all this? And he deherred that unless there's some point in the suffering itself, there can't be any point in survival either. Because if it's all just, oh, random, which guy lives or dies, then there's no real point. He stripped naked, as was Adam and Chava post-Hate. And they realized, whoa, things are not the same anymore. And a profound thing happens. So the way it worked was you got new uniforms from the people immediately sent to the gas chambers and crematoriums. So he puts on this uniform. And in the pocket, instead of his rolled up manuscript with his whole life's thinking and work in it, there's one torn out page. That's a page torn out of the city. Guess which page it is? Shema Yisrael Hashem Elikeinu Hashem Echod. When we say Echod, we mean the same Hashem that smiles on me and that gives me children and grandchildren, everything good is the same Hashem of the crematoriums. There's only oneness. It's Ein Oid Milvadar. We are not separate. We are all part of one, whether it's 
a muscle of rays of a sun or drops of the ocean or where the devices and Hashem is the electricity. We're all a part of this. Echad. So it's incredible to, for us to remember we're not Acher. It's all about Echad. But there's darkness. There's enormous darkness. And the Yitzhahara loves to tell us that the darkness is just darkness. Hashem's punishing us, right? He loves the immaturity. Hashem, yeah, furious with his children. He lost it, but thank God he held himself. He bashed the stones, and now we're banished and punished. If we go back to the Medrash quoted earlier, the same way Rukhaim Belashim points out, it wasn't punishment at, to get banished from Ganeli. If Hashem would have left us there and we would have eaten from the Eitzachayim, we would have never gotten what we needed and we would have never gotten the ultimate tikkun. So the same way, when we're in Gullus and when there's tragedy and there's internal trauma and external issues, it's what's needed. And it's so important to try to be conscious, not to despair when it's bleak. The Goyim actually tells us that the Gula is going to come when it can't get any worse. And actually, if we look at the whole model, template of growth is the seed. And Hashem made it that a seed can only blossom after the whole outside decomposes. The whole husk, everything on the outside, all this identity, all the ego, anything but the core nefesh thing internally has to decompose. And similarly, the last kino we say, described as aletion, is like pregnancy. The birth of actual life in the world comes in the most painful fashion, and the pain gets increasingly worse as you're closest to the delivery. And finally, when it's unbearable and unfathomable, that's when the child is born. So it's all chesed. The churban is all chesed. I thought of it this way. Moshe comes to me. The guy, he had some issues growing up. Baruch Hashem, though, got himself together. He's doing pretty well. Married, kids. He's gotten pretty successful in business. And so it's stressful. And the stresses are building. Family life's building. Kids. But as he moves up the ranks, He's invited to more events and conferences and parties. And he always had a little bit of a liking for drinking. And now he starts to drink more and more. He starts to slowly drink even a little bit in the office when he's having a stressful meeting that day or something. Then as he gets more involved in this upper class scene, he starts, come on, alcohol, cigarmish, try some of this, you know, some party drugs. Oh, come on, you deserve a break. You deserve to chill. His wife was incredibly dedicated. 
she sees he's not himself. He's stressed out. He's keeping long hours. He's always on his phone. He's not himself. She keeps trying to connect him. She's trying to relate. And he's not now this, that. When she talks to him about drinking, he's like, oh, it's garnished. Everybody's doing it. It's no big deal. It just takes the edge off. It helps me focus. Actually, you know, the alcohol and drugs, they, the voice inside calms down. I perform better. This goes on and on. She tries. She tries to get friends involved. He's not hearing it. He's like, you're just overreacting. It's not a big deal. You don't understand the current scene. This is how you do business today. Slowly, he meets some woman. It's also killing it in business. Vivacious, alive. They're sharing some of these drinks. They share some other things. And they start to form this illicit relationship. The wife is saying more and more. Just disconnected. I don't have that connection. I mean, he's physically here, but he's not with me. He's not with the kids. She's really hurt. But her main concern is he's not himself. He's not living in a real way. And we're not really together. It's fake. And every intervention she tries, talking to him directly, getting his friends, they even finally do a sit-down, a classic intervention. You gotta go to Rhea. You gotta get your head straight. You got to get off of this stuff. This is a disaster. He says, you guys are all nuts. I'm fine. I'm doing fine. Look at my commissions are up. My sales are up. I'm connected in business. Okay, you're making a big deal. This is what happens. All right, nothing to do with nothing. The wife, she doesn't want a divorce. She wants the connection. She wants Moishi to wake up. She wants Moishi back, but he doesn't get the memo. And finally, with a broken heart, she says, he's not getting it. She tells him, Moshe, I'm taking the kids and I'm going home to my parents. Totally, totally shocked. And she says, come here. And she holds him and embraces him as tight as she possibly can. And she says, I don't want to leave you. I don't want to abandon you. I don't want to divorce you. I believe in the real you. I believe you can be connected. I believe you can be alive. I can believe you can be there. I believe we can have something amazing and magical. But Kozman, you have everything together. You're not getting the memo. So I'm leaving. But I'm going to arrange the payment for Ria. I'm going to make sure you have the best therapy there, the best aftercare. I'm going to make sure your friends fly down to support you. I'm going to make sure that the friends who are good friends are going to keep you away from these guys who are not. I'm going to do everything. And I'm waiting for you to when you come back, but only come back when you're sober, when you're clear, when you're ready for a real connection. None of this fake stuff anymore. And that's what we say when we're tapped into truth, when we say, we don't say, oh man, Hashem, all the tsars, all the pain. We say, if you see my beloved, tell him, Ki I'm lovesick. I miss the connection. I miss the love. I miss the closeness. I miss the truth. I miss the honesty. I miss the openness. Nice muscles in me. Does it have a source? Oh, does it have a source? 
So, when Adam and Chava got expelled from Gan Eden, Mikruvim were given a sword to block Gan Eden, to block the entry, so that he wouldn't eat from the Eitzachai and live forever and not get his tikka. There's only one other place in Torah that the Kruvim are mentioned. The Kruvim cover the Aron. What's in the Aron in Torah? What's the other name for Torah? The Eitz HaKayim. So we lost one Eitz HaKayim where everything would have been good. And the same Kruvim that blocked our entrance there because it's no longer good for us are at the top of the Kruvim here. And these Kruvim were unreal. They demonstrated our closeness. And when we were oil regular, they would open up the, the parishes and we would see them embracing because we were so close. But when we were not following Hashem's orders, they were distant. Now, a very strange thing happened on Tishaba. The guy invaded into the Kodesh Gadash. We read today the disgusting, vile, terrible things that were done there. And they took out the Kruvim, and the Kruvim were totally intertwined with one another. And the Goyim, who have a very narrow view and couldn't understand any physical and sexual symbols, that's a talk when Hashem will give a different day on what that's all about. They were totally embraced, demonstrating love and closeness. This was a disaster. It's the worst day in our calendar. So the Bnei Sosklar says over in the name of the Pintas of Karls, and Mashiach is going to be born on Tisha B'Av. says, when you look at a normal relationship during regular times, you can't see the love. Husband and wife are there. They're connected. Things are to say there. Same thing with kids. But if one of them is going away for a really, really long time, that's when you're going to see the full expression of love and demonstrate it. The care, the compassion, the concern, the true nature of their love. Even halachically, before someone goes on a long trip, there's a special oina that a husband and wife have to be together in a special way then. So the time of the greatest expression of closeness, love, and intimacy is the time of Yitzhil Adarach. Tishabab is called the Yitzhil Adarach. Shem was going out of the way. And that's why, because it came from the closest union, the closest connection, that's what was needed. That's what brings out higher level neshamas come from greater connection and intimacy. So the neshama of Mashiach, the conception of Mashiach, comes from that closeness of Tishuba. And that's why the Bnei explains when they ask the Heilige Magid of Mizrich, what is Pshat that the Kurum are embracing on this day? He says, The person has to be totally together when he goes out on his way. So the Kruvim, they guard that Ganedim. They give us access to the current Eitzachayim. That Eitzachayim is the antidote to ego. The ego says, I want, I am, it's I, it's I, it's constantly different. And we can't separate who's the real I from the fake I. The Torah gives us Hashem's outside call to us. Don't get stuck with your thoughts, your feelings, what's going on inside of you. I'm giving you an external guidepost for you to follow. It stands counter to all of that, to our passions, to our creative energies, and helps 
everything. It's the tablet. It's the spice for all our drives. It's what makes it taste good. It's what brings it out. So if we'll detox and go to rehab from our own egos, to whatever level we're possible to lose our ego, we're going to find ourselves. And that, when we truly find ourselves then, Hashem's been waiting the entire time for us. It's actually the greatest closeness. During Chayshe, we think again is distant. We talked about Tishabah. Rav Pincus also talks about that in order for the greatest light, if Hashem would really show his light, the whole world would cease to exist. Even by Matan Torah, we needed three layers, darkness, clouds, fog, mist. Why not the brightest, sunniest day for everyone to see? Because if the light is not closed up, it would obliterate existence. Even with Hashem's Hebrew, the Hashem has exploded. So we need the Mechitzas. But we have to be conscious that as he describes, the Mechitza and Shul isn't to keep the women separate. It's the Matir for us to be together. The only way we could dive together is to have that wall. The only way we could really have this level of closeness with Hashem is to have that Mechitza. But if we'll get out of our own stuff and align ourselves with Hashem, then we will be able to do Menachem Oz, which really means we comfort the father. We bring solace to him. Because the wife, she's desperately waiting. She's hurting. Her pain is super valid. She's the innocent one in this. She didn't do anything wrong. Menachem Oz, we're going to bring comfort to the father. And then... Mashiach's name is Menachem. Then Hashem will comfort us and hopefully we'll be already still today to Nachamu, Nachamu, Ami with the coming of Menachem, the Vias, Mashiach, the Cain of Amenu, Amen. Thank you all. Thank you, Absolutely.